can't believe Dad has gone. I mean, Dad. Best Dad. Gone. Yes, Dad. Uh, my Dad has gone. <laughs> make a massive cock-up of the whole thing. You won't. No chance. You're brilliant. Hey everybody, welcome to Backcast number three. My name's Sean, and I am angry about the shares in the pub. Hiya, my name's Laura, and I'm angry about fucking everything. Yes, you are. You are very angry. <laughs> a lot I'm, actually, of times. I'm actually not. I'm no more angry than usual today. How are you? <laughs> uh, I'm doing good. I'm not angry either. I'm really excited. I, I got a temporary four-month promotion at work so that starts on monday so i'm really really fucking nervous about that but really really excited to see yeah how... i saw you talking about it on facebook that's great news yeah i'm really happy i yeah i'm pretty excited about it so we'll just see how everything goes it'll be um i'm just gonna be helping the new class learn how to do the job i interviewed actually a couple weeks ago didn't hear anything didn't hear anything and it was driving me fucking bananas and then on monday i got a um, I had a meeting with the person who interviewed me, and they're like, hey, we're going to take you. So I was pretty happy about that. Oh, that's brilliant. Will you be earning more money? That's the uh, that's the key thing. Uh, technically, I for the next six weeks, I'll actually be earning less, slightly less money. <laughs> um, but then after the classroom portion of... Because right now my shift starts after, new, after 12 o'clock, so I get a 10% pay bump. Right, oh, okay, I see. And yeah. so for the next six weeks, my schedule is going to start at, like, nine in the morning, so I'm going to be losing that 10% differential for, like, six weeks. Right, okay. Um, Once these guys... So you're going to be a teacher, too? I'm not going to technically be a teacher. I'm going to be more like a classroom cop. Right, okay. <laughs> That's sort of what I am, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'll, I'll sort of be a classroom cop. Uh, my partner and I will sort of just be classroom cops, making sure the... They're, you know, paying attention and not, you know, on their fucking cell phones and stuff when they're supposed to be paying attention. Uh, sounds cool, though. Sounds good. Yeah, it's... Uh, I don't want to brag too much, but I really, really have been wanting to do this for years. And I've been really working my fucking ass off at work to prove that I'm ready. Um, I applied for this similar position in May. I didn't even get an interview in May, and I was pretty fucking gutted about it. And um, so I got, I got some feedback from the person who was, you know, doing the hiring, and um, I got some feedback about why they didn't interview me. So I talked to my boss, and I said, "Okay, this is what they said I need to work on. This is what I want to work on." My boss said, "Fucking awesome, let's do it." And so she has given me so many, so many, many opportunity since may to improve upon the feedback that i got so i'm just really excited and just yeah, that's brilliant. yeah like i said just really looking forward to getting it started um it's nice if you can be enthusiastic about your job that's half the battle one i think yeah yeah it really is um one of the i don't know if i've talked about this on the podcast before but in addition to kind of thinking about this podcast on New Year's. Um, I also was thinking about my New Year's resolutions, and one of my New Year's resolutions was that since 2016 was so shitty, 
uh, with everything that happened that I just wanted 2017 to be as fucking awesome as possible. And so I have like called 2017, like my year of positivity, which I know sounds a little like. That sounds so American is what that sounds. Yeah, uh, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I, I know it sounds a little like, it sounds a little like new agey and shit, but you know. No, it's good to, no, I do believe that there is a certain amount of, the more positive you are, the more positive things will come towards you. Yeah. And so every, this year when I've had little setbacks and stuff, like I don't let it get me down. I just fucking grab my sack and just smile about it and just keep on going. Well, that's great. Well done you. Great news this week. Um, I've also written a little synopsis for each episode so maybe if you recap where we were and i could read the synopsis for the episode yeah that'll be good yeah so at the end of episode four andrew and steven have just gotten back from the soup fist and we found out that the john barleycorn has caught fire because jeff was letting people smoke inside and disconnected the um the uh smoke detectors as as the the group gathers around to watch the john barleycorn burn Everybody has sided with Andrew, his mother, his sister, his uncle, and even the closest bar staff. They are all sheltered around Andrew, and Stephen just seems totally alone and isolated. Yep. Um, and then in the in episode five, the uh, synopsis that I wrote, um, spoilers, <laughs> the pub's refurbished after the fire. Cass finally gives in and sells her share of the pub to Andrew, meaning that he now has the lion's share of the business. Jeff admits that he wants to sell his farm off to the developers who are looking to buy up all the local land um, at much more than it's actually worth. Stephen finds a corpse in the woods and Andrew even manages to take the fun out of that for him. Maureen the dog goes missing. Shame. <laughs> but unfortunately she comes back. Uh, Jeff gives the man a beating. Alison is tempted by the developer's offer. Sorry, not Alison. Ellen is tempted by the developer's offer of 40% market price on the pub once Stephen starts talking about it. And Casco's traveling for four days and comes back with a husband. Yes, that is a that's an excellent synopsis of episode five. Um, just to kind of jump into episode, you know, just to kind of go a little more into that. Um, I felt like the opening scene of episode five was really really dense with a lot of fucking information where yeah there was and it didn't all go in the first time for me i sort of like when i sort of watched it again i was like oh okay i that sort of gone over my head the first time yeah um we find out that the or actually i guess this episode starts with steven walking into the john barleycorn and one of the contractors just starts talking to him in a language that I can only assume is like a contractor language where he's talking about the structural supports and all sorts of like bullshit. And we get like this little flash of young Steven just looking concerned because he just really doesn't know what this guy is talking about. Um, yeah, um, he obviously it makes sense to or maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's total gibberish, but I expect it would make sense if you were in the architecture world makes sense to oh yeah yeah exactly if you were an architect i'm sure that this would make complete and perfect sense to you to me who is not an architect it was just fucking gibberish even though the pub looks terrible and it does it's absolutely gutted the contractor tells uh him that the actual the pub is structurally sound like it's not going to fall down yeah and that was i'm sure that that was good news for the entire nichols family to hear is that 
Despite looking like shit, the pub is structurally sound. Yeah. Um, and Stephen's mum then appears, and he tells her that the bank laughed him, laughed him off the phone, more or less, when he said how much money they were going to need. Uh, and she's a bit... She's not quite hysterical, is she? But she's she's fraught at this point. I'm just going to be honest with you. I hated Ellen in this episode. She Yeah, I mean, she's not my least favourite character, but she's not she's not far from it. And this episode does not show her up in a good light, really. Oh my god, she physically fucking repulses me in this episode with just the way <laughs> that she treats Steven this entire episode. In fact, in most of my notes, I just refer to her as bitch from time to time because she's just so <laughs> vile to, to Steven. She you know, chides him for letting the insurance lapse. Um, as an insurance person, the only reason the policy wouldn't auto-renew is if they weren't making payments on it. So Yeah, I thought that. Like, I know nothing about insurance, but I thought it seemed far-fetched that they would have, if they'd had a policy, that they wouldn't continue to have some sort of policy. Yeah, so I think that it's just go- safe to go ahead and blame Lori for this. Yeah, um... She says, oh, she's horrible to him for forgetting it, but Stephen says that it was a collective forgetting, and he thought Laurie had done it, and and Ellen just continues to be horrible to him, and she says that we're up Widow Creek like a bunch of cunts, which is a great line from Ellen. Yeah, I like how she's just like, whoever's to blame, you, Stephen, or whoever. Like, <laughs> it just, oh god, it just, oh, like I said, it just repulses me that she's just so mean to him. Yeah, she is horrible to him. And then we see uh, further evidence of Stephen's alcoholism because he is now drinking wine in the mornings. Come on, don't we all drink a little wine in the morning? Let's not alcohol. <laughs> a little bit of morning Stephen wine, here. always, always delicious. But everyone else is drinking coffee. Um, but he says he's fine with his morning wine. I'm also drinking a morning wine because it's like eight thirty <laughs> here. Actually, I guess it's technically nine o'clock. But you know, I've got my morning wine with me. I don't know what the big deal is. <laughs> yeah you're right she's the one that's uh, they're the ones that are uptight yeah yeah exactly um steven points out that the fire was actually jeff's fault and if not for jeff's mismanagement then the pub wouldn't have burned down and the insurance wouldn't have been even been an issue yeah which is exactly true as well yeah. jeff's getting none of the blame here no no he's not uh cass i don't know about you i think cass kind of steals this episode even though she's only in it for about a third of it cass really steals this episode See, I just hate Cass, so it would oh. pain me to say she steals the episode. But there are some funny moments with Cass in this. Mm-hmm. Um, Cass says that she has checked her itinerary six times, but she wants to check it four more times just to be safe. Um, Stephen is kind of weirded out when Cass tells t- Cass tells him that he, she is going to be gone for six months, and he's like, "How did you get all the money for that?" And um. She says that she can earn money as she goes along. She talks about how she'll pick up a job shearing sheep. And then she Oh, just... in New South Wales, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then she just kind of casually mentions that Andrew bought Cass's shares of the John Barleycorn. Yeah, and she mentions it very casually. And I thought, that's a big deal, Cass. Like, that's a big bomb to drop on Stephen. You know he's not going to be happy about that. I know. And it... what doesn't make sense to me is... I understand that she's got this like weird fascination with Andrew and that Andrew kind of did indeed, you know, I don't want really want to say seduce her because there's nothing, you know, sexual about their relationship. But I was kind of surprised that she didn't offer her shares first to Steven. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I thought that that was cold on her part. 
Yeah. Because she's a, she's a dick, so that's why. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Andrew kind of reveals that Cass, Cass sold him her 25% in the pub, and he wanted a bigger share if he was going to pump money into the pub. Ellen, the bitch, just calls Andrew a superstar <laughs> and just kind of, like, fawns over Andrew while Steven just kind of stands there, gaped mouth. Yeah. Um, and you can understand Steven's displeasure at this point. You know, his whole family are fucking him up. They've already sided with Andrew, it seems, like, with the fire. And now he owns a bigger stake in the pub than he does. And, yeah, I'd be annoyed as well. Yeah. Uh, Andrew has a line here where he talks about how the pub was always meant to stay in the family and that he felt honored to, you know, buy Cass's shares and to keep the pub in the family. And Stephen is just like, but you're not fucking family. (laughs) Yeah, he says you're not family, you're just some bloke. Yeah, and then Ellen chides him and she talks about how Lori's last wish was to keep the pub running. And at this point, Stephen has just kind of had had enough and he announces he's going to take Maureen. We finally have confirmation of the dog's name, Maureen, for a walk. Maureen. Yeah, um, and this is the point at which where he says that he he puts his wine down and he says that the wine is corked, but don't throw it away (laughs) because it's still drinkable. (laughs) Like I said, I I did not remember how much stuff happened in this one scene, and so I was a little... When I was taking my notes on it, I was like, holy shit, this is a lot of information in one scene. Yeah, and it's like two minutes, so there's a lot of stuff packed into two minutes. Probably more information that we get yeah. than we get for the rest of the episode, actually. Yeah. Um, Andrew's plan... Oh, also, I would just like to say, I'm pretty, I was pretty excited to see that my Andrew's a force of good theory holds up, at least through episode five. I would say... it certain it to a certain extent it holds up through five and six um maybe we can talk a bit more at the end about theories but i think your theories were more correct than mine were actually so (laughs) yeah (laughs) i would also like to say and it was you know not that it wasn't a a long bridge to or long reach to make but uh i did completely call uh andrew paying for the renovations of the john barleycorn out of his own pocket you, you did i mean actually i will say that i'm not very good at this i'm not very good at making predictions so when me and my husband watch like dramas and stuff my husband always works out twists and stuff I, I never do i'm a bit of a simpleton with this sort of thing so the fact that you you worked out what was going to happen doesn't surprise me i'm not very good at it i'm usually not very good at it either so i was a little amazed that it actually <laughs> happened <laughs> Uh, um, in the next scene, we see that Stephen has taken Maureen to a, for a walk, and he's on the phone to his ex-wife, Alison. Yeah, and they're they're just kind of talking about the legality of Cass selling her shares, and he makes Cass out to sound like a complete idiot here because he says, you know, that she's easily influenced. Um... Yeah, there's a very funny line about how she bought a load of crab sticks off a van from a man. They were just loose in a holder, which really made me laugh, and I want to know more about that. I thought that. It's a shame that wasn't that story wasn't gone into a little bit further. What the hell are crab sticks? So they're like fish sticks. They're not actually made of crab. I don't know why they call them. Oh, that. like um, imitation crab sticks. Yeah, yeah, oh. like they, they're pink. I don't know if you. Yeah, they're nasty. You wouldn't buy them loose from a man in a van, anyway. Yeah, that sounds that sounds like food poisoning just waiting to happen. Mm, exactly. Um, Maureen at this point just takes a huge shit on the uh on the sidewalk oh also important to note in this scene steven's cell phone just 
spontaneously spontaneously loses signal and he can't get signal again. Yeah, that's important for what happens next. Yeah. Uh Marine takes a shit on the sidewalk and uh Steven is trying to pick up the shit and as he's like trying to pick it up there's this guy who has did he have like a metal detector with him? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um that's a couple podcasts where we've talked about metal detectors. <laughs> it is, yeah. That's a bit of a weird one, but he did have a metal detector. Yeah. And so uh, Steven is, you know, trying as he's trying to pick up the shit, um, Maureen runs off. And I'm sure that you were like, yes, Maureen's gone. I never have to see this stupid fucking dog ever again. I did. I was very pleased that Maureen was gone, but unfortunately she returned to that boomerang. <laughs> Um, Steven ends up having to kind of chase Maureen through the forest. Um, as he's getting ready to leave, the guy that with the metal detector chides him for leaving the dog shit on the sidewalk and says it can cause, what, like blindness in kids or something like that? Yeah, this really made my husband laugh because when our eldest daughter was a baby, we were in the park and a man was, his dog had done his business and the man didn't pick it up. And I said exactly this, which was, it makes children blind and... Phil has always stood by the fact that that isn't true, and he doesn't know where I got that from, but when the man said that, I was like, see, it doesn't make children blind. Maybe you traveled to the future, you watched this episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and that's, yeah, maybe. It, or maybe it really does make children blind. Someone do the research, please. Yeah. Um, as as Stephen is kind of running through the woods, and he's calling, for, I guess he's not really running through the woods, he's kind of walking quickly through the woods, calling for Maureen. Um, more more he calls them more more come to daddy yeah. <laughs> he uh <laughs> he uh he like just bumps into kind of a shoe that's hanging from the from the uh from a tree and then he looks up and he sees a dead body and then just proceeds mm -hmm. to puke everywhere yes a man is hanging from the tree um and he freaks out and decides that he needs to phone 999 as you would um, but he doesn't have any signal, as as you mentioned earlier on. Um, so he runs out of the woods to try and get some more signal, and he just happens to bump into Andrew, who's out jogging. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed in my notes, but I actually just typed out 911, because that's what we dial here in America. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, you did. I think if you dial 911 here, it will get you through to 999. Oh, well, that's because, good. That's good. Yeah, because I think a lot of the world uses 911, so I don't know why we don't just use 911, but if you dial 911, you'll get the emergency people well you guys also do drive on the you guys also do wrong have right yeah wrong side of the road yeah yeah you're right yeah i'm glad you said it not me because i totally blanked <laughs> on which side of the road you actually drive on so <laughs> um so andrew has got signal somehow uh which angers Stephen, but of course he's got signal because i'm, I'm sure andrew's always got signal wherever he goes did you think it was weird that andrew was out jogging in this park when we I mean, granted, we see very little of Andrew when Steven's not around. Or, let me rephrase that. We don't really see Andrew just solo by himself, but he really doesn't seem like a jogger to me. I guess that's true, although he's a knobhead, so I thought, well, maybe he's just, that's a knobhead thing to do, is to be out jogging in the park. Also, maybe it's a very small town with a one park. I, I know what you say, it's a reach, but... I don't think there's anything sinister in it. I don't think he killed the guy or anything. No, I don't think he killed him either. But again, it's kind of, it just is weird. And it almost kind of definitely speaks to the 
force of good that he would just happen to be where Stephen needs him to be. Stop pushing your Andrew's an angel theory. <laughs> He's like a fairy godfather for uh, for hanging men in the woods. I have kind of revised my theory in two weeks. I don't really want to say angel because that's a little too supernatural. So I've kind of revised it to force of good. Every time a bell rings, Andrew gets his wings. There you Is go. that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Andrew has a really funny conversation on the phone and he sounds like such a fucking... Like I, you, oh, <laughs> you put it in your notes. He sounds like a fucking <laughs> wanker. Where he, he calls the he calls the police, and he tells them that he'll turn his GPS on and ping them the deets of the body, and it just sounds yeah. So... I, I've written in my notes says ping to mean text like a wanker. The only other person I've met who did that in real life was not the mortgage advisor that we eventually used and and fleeced as a fortune, but a mortgage advisor who. As it turned out, couldn't get us a mortgage because I think she was fucking pointless at her job. But she was always calling me and being like, ping me the dates and it'd be a fuck off, you dickhead. <laughs> um, uh, Stephen leads Andrew through the woods and they find the dead body. And I really like this part because Andrew sees the dead body and he's like, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, it clearly looks bad. Stephen shouts out... Um, <laughs> Oh, the colour, like a Premier Inn, which you probably didn't get, but Premier Inn is a chain of hotels here with a purple logo. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just assumed it was a blue uh, a blue logo. I like when... No, it's like a really purple logo. I like when Andrew asks if they should lift the feet up just in case he's not dead, and and Stephen is, <laughs> Stephen's like, no, 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 he's dead, he's dead. You don't turn yeah. that colour if you're still alive. No, no. Um, uh, Stephen is coping with it quite badly, but Andrew, even though he's obviously appalled by the sight of it, he definitely is coping better than Stephen is. Yeah. Um, They then kind of have this funny conversation. Jesus, funny. Not really funny. They have a kind of grim conversation. Dark. Yeah, they have kind of a grim conversation about, you know, suicide and um, stuff like that. So I just kind of wanted to insert it, or I just wanted to play the scene here. Because I do think, yeah. while it's a little dark, it is a little funny and tells you a lot about the characters here. So I'm just going to go yeah. ahead and play this. Can you imagine ever being that desperate? Yep. Really? Oh, God, yes. I'm precisely the sort of man who kills himself. Yeah. I'm not sure you could end your own life, Stephen. What do you know? I could totally kill myself. In fact, I often think that's how I'll go. Hanging, vodka and pills, level crossing... I just don't know that if the moment came, you could actually... Are you daring me to kill myself? No. Because if stroke when I do, don't go spouting off about how you goaded me into it, because believe me, I was going to do it anyway. I've drafted five suicide notes in my time, three in my head and two on paper. I don't need your help. Are you angry about Cass's shares? I'm angry about fucking everything. Ugh, yeah, that's a, that's a grim <laughs> discussion they have. Whew. I laughed a lot at this, but I think maybe I'm just a bit sick in the head. But the the bit that really made me laugh was not the fact that he was talking about how he might, how he the sort guy kill himself, but the the ways he came up with the hanging, the vodka and pills, and the level crossing. It was the level crossing that really made me laugh. What is a level crossing? Is that like a train? Yeah, okay. like where a train goes through a road, so that you have to like there's gates and you have to stop. Oh, okay. That's what I I, I assume that that's what it was. You can't just call it. Yeah, I mean, train what, what a way to go. <laughs> yeah. 
that, that if you're going to kill yourself, don't do it by sitting on a level crossing. Like, that's you've got to time that well as well. Well, but then you also traumatize the poor train conductor. Exactly, and everyone that has to watch it. Yeah, so that's a that's a shit way to go. I think vodka he, and is guy. much cleaner. <laughs> yeah, um, and yeah, obviously laughed a lot at the idea that Stephen was angry about everything. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> yeah. So back at the John Barleycorn, they're decorating for Cass's going away. Mike, Jan, and Jeff have this really, really funny fucking conversation about immunizations, and Jeff. Uh, or uh, Mike and Jan are, you know, espousing the importance of immunizations, and Jeff is like, "Oh, they should just let kids catch it and build up immunities naturally." And then Mike is like, "Yeah, to um... cholera." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I put in my notes that Jeff is an anti-vaxxer, which I just thought was I don't know. It was you couldn't hate him for it. It was just really funny. Um, I don't think that you should let kids catch cholera, though. I'm with Mike and Jan on this one. Yeah, I definitely don't think kids should be catching cholera. No, I don't think that's the answer. No, not a, not in the slightest. Um, we also find out that there's an estate developer who's kind of buying up land around Stroud for way above market value. Um, uh, yeah, she's they're offering people forty percent above the market value. Yeah, um, Ellen is kind of annoyed about this, and you know, Jeff mentions that they approached him about selling the farm. But he didn't sell the farm, and Ellen wants to fight the land development. And then Ellen just goes kind of charging out of the John Barleycorn, and Jeff is just like, fuck yeah, I sold my farm, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, he says it's bleak as all fuck and never makes any money. Yeah, I really, uh, this, Jeff in this episode is so goddamn funny. Like, man. I mean, Jeff's brilliant always, but he is very funny in this episode. Let me just ask a question, are you able to hear the washing machine, by the way? No, no, I can't hear washing machine. Okay. All right, I was just a little worried. It sounds loud as fuck in here, but... No, no, it's not come up on, on here. Okay. Hold on a minute. I'm going to go close my door. Sorry. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So then we're back at the park with Stephen and Andrew at the dead body, and there's a police officer with them. This In this scene, it's really funny because the police officer is clearly interviewing Andrew, but Stephen just mm -hmm. keeps kind of like trying to interject. It's so funny. Yeah, he, um, despite not having found the body, Andrew has taken charge of the situation. Yeah, again, it's the force of good at work because... <laughs> Steven does not have the capacity to really handle this situation properly like a normal human. Whereas Andrew's I mean that's true, he doesn't, but maybe Andrew's a little bit glory hunting as well. Oh yeah. I I mean it it's it's a distinct possibility that Andrew is being a little bit of a glory hound here. Yeah. Um the uh police then say that they will keep if they need any any further information they'll speak to they'll call Andrew and Stephen's like oh you can call me they're just not interested in what he's got to say at all I really liked when he asked the police officer if they're gonna have the tent like the CSI tent <laughs> and the police officer's yeah. just like I don't know yes maybe I don't know 
<laughs> yeah, that's not really his. I imagine that's not really that police officer's job or decision to make. I feel bad for Steven in this scene because he just really he feels like that this is something important, but then he's just completely being blocked out of of the importance of it. You know? Yeah, yeah. As he's so often the way with poor Steven. Yeah. Um, Andrew says that he's going to go finish his run, kind of run some tension out and he does this really like goofy ass stretch it's so strange yeah he either this really like i'm stretching stretch he's and he's sort of glaring at steven while he does it yeah um one thing i do kind of want to talk i want to get back to this stretch here in just a minute okay okay um let me let me make a note to second sorry okay um anyways so then we get back to the john barleycorn and Cass is in this scene she's just really excited she's terrified and she's ready to travel but she says she feels stick to her stomach with brilliant excitement <laughs> yeah i kind of identified with Cass here because uh i've never been much of a traveler and I don't travel well, and I think I would feel the same if I was going off on a six-month travel. Yeah, um, Mike admits to her. Or, yeah, Mike admits to her that he admires her for going out into the world, since all manner of things could go wrong. Cass says, "Yes, that's true, but they won't." And um, then it, the camera kind of pans over to Ellen and Jeff, and we find out that. Um, Jeff has confessed to Ellen that he did sell the farm. They have a really, really fucking funny conversation here. This one is actually funny and not bleak, but um, I wanted to go ahead and just play this little part with Ellen and Jeff. I'm sorry, but they've offered a ton of money, more than I'd ever get otherwise. I can't turn it down. Your lovely farm. It's not lovely, though, is it? It's a shit farm, really. Never makes a profit, bleak as all fuck. So why not take the money and feel like a winner for once? In this life, no one gets a medal for coming second. Yes, they do. They get a silver medal. Yeah, no, I realise that as I said it. <laughs> I love that line made me howl the first time I watched it. The, um, the You don't get a medal for second place. And she's just like, yes, yes, you do. It's called a silver medal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when he says, yeah, I realised that as soon as I said it. That was it. I really laughed as well. I've had, I've had times like that where you say something and you're like, oh, shit, I shouldn't have said that. That was... I, I do it a lot at work to kids, but thankfully kids are quite stupid for the most part. So <laughs> they'll look at they'll look at you like that's not true, or you'll say something that's blatantly not true, and you know it's wrong. And they look at you like that's not true, and then you gloss over it. And then when they say it later, you're like, I never said that. Where, where would you have got that information from? Yeah, you little fuck. I'm the teacher, not you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I'd remember if I'd made that glaring error. <laughs> um, outside of the John Barleycorn. We have Steven and Allison in there hanging up missing signs for Maureen. Um, again, I'm sure you were probably like, God, I hope this dog stays missing. I really was. Really was. And uh, I've even written in my notes, Maureen is missing. Shame. Yeah. Um, Steven isn't really worried about Maureen, um, mostly because he jokes that she's having a wonderful Disney adventure with a Siamese cat and a golden retriever. <laughs> that made me laugh a lot we also kind of find out too that things are not really super rosy between allison and tom right now no i did think this was a bit of a a sudden it was a it was a change of 
mood for them because Holy so far shit, all we've seen is them ever. being really happy. Yeah, it was a bit weird. There was no there was no kind of build up to that. It was just like, oh, things aren't as great as they could be. And it was like, oh, okay, you were really happy and shagging in the caravan two episodes ago. Yeah. Yes. Um, she just is like, you know, um, not, it, it doesn't really come 100% out yet, but you kind of, it's kind of insinuated that her and Tom are not really getting along very well. And Steven is completely oblivious to this fact. Yeah, he doesn't really jump on it in the way I thought he would, considering that, like, again, two episodes ago, it was quite clear that he he did want to be back with her. And I don't know. Yeah, weird one. Yeah, it was, yeah, definitely fucking weird. Um, as they walk into the pub, Cass and Steven hug, and uh, he tells her to have fun traveling, but to bring a fuckload of hand sanitizer. <laughs> yeah, that would be love. And as they walk into the pub, the television's on in the corner, and Stephen gets excited because that's the body he found. Or he says, "I think he says that's my body." Yeah, um, we find out that the body was identified as Martin Barry, and uh, who was a car salesman whose car lot had kind of made a turn for the worse. Mm. Yeah, had a financial downturn. Yeah, and then we see Stephen's smiles kind of quickly turned as Andrew appears on the screen. Uh, or the the news let me rephrase that the news announcer says that they're going to have an interview with the person who discovered the body the landlord of the john barleycorn and steven is a little like excited about this um of course his excitement is short-lived as andrew appears on the screen with the title landlord john barleycorn yeah uh, and steven is visibly very upset yeah now i wanted to go to go back to the stretching real quick so, okay. at what point did they have this news this news interview? I guess maybe the fact that Stephen doesn't know about it would suggest that Andrew gave his interview before Stephen, when Stephen was doing something else, and then Stephen gave his interview after Andrew had gone running again, maybe. But did Stephen even give an interview? Yeah, I thought that. So I thought... We have no evidence he's given an interview, but he was excited as though his interview was going to be shown. So we have to assume he did. Yeah, it just it just was weird. Like I was almost wondering if the stretching was, um, if the if the stretching was like his way of kind of getting Stephen to leave. Yeah, that could be. Yeah, you might be right there. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean. I feel like that Stephen must have given some sort of interview because if he didn't give an interview, then it would be weird that he would be so excited about the interview. But yeah, yeah, like you say, he must have been because otherwise it doesn't make sense. But I agree that for us as the audience who didn't see either of them, it's a bit confusing. Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was a little. I thought the scene was a little confusing. Although the point stands is that Andrew's being a glory hound. Um, Stephen asks Andrew if Andrew says he found the body. Andrew says he doesn't remember. But then there's a news clip of him saying that he found the body. Uh, yeah. Stephen. Very explicitly saying it was him that found the body. Yeah. Stephen gets really upset in this scene here. And Andrew kind of tries to play it off like, oh, it's just for narrative purposes. It's easier for the audience to follow. But when he said that, I was just like, well, that doesn't make any sense either because they could have just shown Steven. It's not like they were inter flipping between Andrew and Steven in the interview. 
don't know. That's true. I feel like we're dissecting yeah, this way too much. Yeah, it's weird. It's definitely it's a bit of a plot hole. I thought the same thing, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, Ellen then kind of chides Stephen for thinking about that kind of stuff where then when there's a dead body um, being taken care of. Cass then announces it's time for her to go. Um, her cab is there. Ellen helps Cass strap her giant ass fucking backpack on. And then she's just like, oh, you don't need to put that on. I'm just going to have to take it off when I get in the cab. Yeah, I've never actually carried a rucksack like that. Have you? Nope. Nope, I sure haven't. No, I've had no I've had no calls to. So um, my husband's a geography teacher. He goes off on field trips every year, like where they have to be in the wilderness and, I don't know, take pond samples. And he goes off with a backpack that's almost as tall as he is. But Cassie's very small. I can't imagine that she would have been able to carry one of those very efficiently. <laughs> yeah. Um, as soon as Cass walks out of the John Barleycorn... Stephen's phone rings, and then he gets a call from someone who says they have more rain and will kill her unless Stephen pays him a thousand pounds. Yeah, he says that if, unless he gives him a grand, he's going to run him out, run her over. Yep. And I was just thinking, please run that fucking dog over. <laughs> um, I really like how Andrew asks Stephen, like, do you want me to come with you? And Stephen's like, no. And then Andrew says, what if they try to hurt you? And Stephen's just like, yeah, a bit. Come with me. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he totally, he totally like drops any pretense that he can handle it as soon as the mention of him maybe being hurt is is out there. Yeah. Um, next part we get to is this scene is really funny. This might be the most peep show esque scene in the whole series, and we'll discuss it and then we'll kind of circle back to that. Um, okay. Andrew and Stephen are in a parking garage. Amazingly, David Mitchell has actually driven in this scene, which. <laughs> yeah i noticed that and i was like oh he can drive or at least he can drive a bit in a car park enough to make it look like he can drive yeah they're kind of scoping out the men in the parking garage and they're wondering who the dog napper is and um steven has a line where he says it wouldn't surprise me if i found out that these men also were dog wankers or something like that right <laughs> yeah if you told me they're wanking dogs off as well i'd believe yeah you. yeah um there's a knock did you not think this was sorry did you not think this was strange though that this is like clearly the middle of the day on like a wednesday or something this is not where you'd go to do a dodgy deal like why has the kidnapper chosen what looks like a very busy multi-story car park on a weekday i'll be honest with you i was more interested as to where the car park in stroud actually is it would have been in like a sainsbury's it would have been a supermarket like look towns like that have small shopping centres with multi-storey car parks like that. And I can even see that, like, on a Sunday afternoon, you could get away with Dodger Jillings, but not in the middle of the week. Like, there were a lot of people around. Yeah, it was pretty fu- It was pretty funny. Um, there's a knock at the window, and then I just want to go ahead and play the aftermath. You hear about the dog? We are now. We're very concerned. Shut up. And you're very angry. So let's attempt to triangulate those... Shut things. the fuck up. You got the money. I need to see the dog first. No. Money now, or I'll run her over until she fucking bursts. Hey, let's everyone calm down. Hey, let's you fuck off. Don't burst, Maureen. I will fucking burst her. I'm not even lying. A grand now. You look like a reasonable guy. Yeah, and you look like a bender. I've told you to shut up. What I'd like to do now is to actively listen to what you want out of this scenario. Oh, don't tell me you were a dog hostage negotiator in the fucking Lebanon or somewhere. Right, I'm going to burst her like a fucking space hopper full of guts. No! No, no! Oi! Silly balls! Come 
shit. Jeff, is that you? Don't call me Jeff. He'll know I'm called Jeff. Sorry, Lenny. Dog killer, are we? No, I haven't got the dog right. It was a corner. I just saw the poster. Wanna kill dogs, is that it? No, leave me alone. I love dogs. <laughs> they are sweet and trusting creatures. I haven't got the dog. You ever looked in a dog's eyes? Pure devotion. Beautiful. Moves you to tears. <laughs> there is no greater love than a dog for its master, oh. and vice versa. Jeff! Oh, sorry, Danny, he's telling the truth. Text from Jan. Maureen's come home, she's back at the pub, she's fine. I know, mate. The dog came back just before I left. Oh. <laughs> uh, Goddamn, this scene was so... This scene is so fucking funny. Like I said, I don't know about how you felt, but I felt like this was a very peep show-esque scene. Um, I could definitely imagine the same thing happening to Mark Jeremy and Superhand. Yeah, definitely. Um, something as well about the sort of ridiculousness of Jeff wearing the balaclava and then when um, Steven calls him Jeff and he's like, don't call me Jeff, they'll know I'm called Jeff. And he's like, sorry, Lenny. Lenny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought that was really funny too. And then also the reveal <laughs> that the dog actually came back to the John Barleycorn. Yes, that he hasn't. He's not kidnapped the dog at all. I also really laughed at the kidnapper saying, "He says something like, I'll run. I'll put him under my back wheel, and I'll run over him like he's a like a beach ball full of guts or something like that." And again, that really made me laugh. And I was hoping that he might do that for Maureen. Yeah, and uh, Stephen is like, "Don't burst my dog." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a good scene. Um, in the broadcast on Channel Four, like this was after the advert. And before it came back on, they said, uh, just like a warning for the audience, this has got scenes of a violent nature that some viewers may find upsetting. And me and my husband looked at each other like, what? <laughs> like, what the <laughs> fuck is about to happen? So we were sort of, we were geared up for something all like genuinely awful to happen. And then obviously this happened and it was so funny. Yeah, that's that's really funny. And you said before Stephen found the body that it there was also a similar warning, right? Yeah, there was a warning of like, yeah, seeing some viewers may find upsetting. And at the end of this episode, they had like a helpline for anyone that may have been affected by the issues in this show, which is normally put on after like documentaries about abuse. It was really amusing. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, it was like, this got dark. Yeah. The version that I downloaded had a advertisement at the end of it for a little show called Peep Show. I don't know. Have you heard of that before? <laughs> <laughs> it was there was on the channel four broadcast there was like if you like this you'll like the peep show it was the, yeah it was the thing yeah that was the one that i had on there yeah, yeah, yeah. um so next we get allison and steven and they're walking in the country and allison has been talking to somebody named greg fuller about andrew have we ever heard of greg fuller before i don't think so greg fuller's new yeah okay that's what i thought i just wanted to make sure that i wasn't going crazy here um Allison mentions that the land that the John Barleycorn is sitting on is being considered for the access road to the new estate and that the estate developers are wanting to purchase it at 40% over market value. The first time I heard this, I thought she said 14%, like right. one four. And I was like, well, that's not a lot of money. Like what the hell is Steven so excited for? Yeah. But then I realized, yeah, no, it's it, um, four zero percent. Yeah, I, I was just thinking you'd fucking sell that for that. Oh, yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Maybe I'm heartless. Um, there was a very funny uh, line in this where 
Stephen said that he is not easily fooled, but he was once tricked into buying a mini disc player. And I felt a little bit sad because I had a mini disc player and I loved it. I think it was like the forgotten uh, music format. Format the mini, yeah, yeah. And uh, I didn't like being made fun of in that way. I I thought a mini. Well, I was really active at the time, and so I had a discman with anti-skip protection. But even still, right, it would still skip. So I really wanted a mini disc player. Yeah, they were great. As a, don't make fun of the mini disc player. Yeah. Um, Steven kind of realizes that this is why Andrew's back. He wants to sell the John Barleycorn at the high value, make some money, and then cunt off. Um, I really thought that this plan made perfect sense. And with his with his ability to manipulate, I could have easily seen Andrew talking Ellen into selling her 45% or ownership to him. I don't know that I did think that it was plausible. I think throughout... I've thought whatever Andrew is, there's even if it's not completely genuine, the the need to have a family and all of that is at least partly genuine for him. So I wasn't sure if I did believe that, although it does make sense from a financial point of view. Yeah. Um as they're as they're walking, Allison leans over and she looks at Maureen and she starts going, Who's the cleverest girl in the world? Who's the cleverest girl in the world? And Steven just responds, I suspect that's probably a human. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i do enjoy how allison is sort of baby in the dog like because earlier on she when she's on the phone to steven she asks if she's wearing a pink coat and stuff and that's very funny yeah. yeah i really enjoyed that joke um back at the john barleycorn we find out oh hang on sorry before we move on you've put in your notes that there's a jimmy savile joke here oh which there is um yeah. she, he says something about it's like where was maureen and he says oh she was just chilling in the woods like uh goldilocks and the or jimmy or savile and i didn't understand that i knew it must be jimmy savile i googled the shit out of it i can't find any reference to jimmy savile ever being in a wood i can't find i can't think of anything that Jimmy Savile was ever in, where he was in the woods. So if anyone knows what the fuck that joke was meant, please tell us, because this was a British joke I couldn't fathom. What I assumed, and, you know, who knows, maybe I'm wrong, what I assumed was that maybe, like, Jimmy Savile was in the woods hunting children? I don't know. Yeah, that was, I kind of, like, that's what I assumed as well. But I thought, for that to make sense, there's got to be at least a news story about that on uh, like and like i say i googled the hell out of it and couldn't find any reference to it so yeah maybe it is as simple as that as like pervs are in the woods i don't know yeah um back at the john barleycorn we find out that andrew's hired an architect to rebuild the john barleycorn and um steven like just kind of barges into the john barleycorn he says andrew i heard something interesting about this new estate and before he can even finish, Cass just kind of casually walks in and she's just like, bonjour. <laughs> yeah. Um, she's, everyone's shocked to see her because she's only been gone for like three days. I think she says four. I wrote three, but she actually well, yeah. ended up being four. She's not been gone long. Oh yeah, I've written four in mine. Yeah, she returns from traveling after four whole days. Yeah, this this whole scene really, really fucking cracks me up. Because she says that she got as far as Lyle, she stayed at a hotel, um, oh yeah, and I, excuse me, there's also a taller, older gentleman in the background, and Stephen asks if they should tip the cabbie, but Cass reveals that Paula's not a cabbie, but it's her husband. Um, yeah, who's talking with my husband. Yeah, Cass says she got as far as Lyle, which, I had to Google a lot of this stuff, because I, 
I, I assume that Lyle was a city in England. Like, I just was assuming that she didn't even get out of England. I didn't realize that Lyle was France. Um, yeah, yeah, it's like the bit of France before Belgium, I think. Yeah. Um, she stayed at a hotel, and then while she was there, she met Paul, they made a connection, and they got married. <laughs> yep, um, which is preposterous. He um, is tall, like you say, tall, older someone i think it's steven says something under his breath like how old is he and just like he looks about 70 and he really does yeah um he almost looks i i almost thought he kind of looked like richard branson <laughs> oh yeah i i wrote he looks like fish from marillion which will mean nothing to you <laughs> or probably half of the people listening but if you google fish from marillion now he does look a bit like him <laughs> um we get another flash and everybody's kind of sitting around this, this table and Cass is playing with her wedding band and Ellen asks Cass if Paul is okay. Cass says it's not unusual for him to spend a long time in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. You say she's playing with her wedding band. It's not even a band. It is a, it looks like a ring out of a cracker. It is a heart, like a blue heart yeah. with diamantes around it. Um, yeah, that's what I was thinking too, that it looks like a Cracker Jack ring or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, do you guys have Cracker um, Jack over there? No, what's Cracker Jack? Oh shit, it's like uh, it's, uh, like caramel popcorn, but, right. every, the, but what's famous is that every box has a surprise in it. Oh, okay. No, that's the sort of thing you just get in a Christmas cracker. Yeah. Oh, okay, all right. Um, Cass is just kind of uh, talking about her trip, and she says that um, she's that Paul's an ex-pilot and did a did the wedding themselves in her selfie wedding. I couldn't quite understand what she says. Um, yeah, she said it was a bit of a selfie wedding. Yeah, because um, he was a pilot, so it was all legal. Yeah, she and says she's that, like, well, he was kind of a pilot. Yeah, she says that her whole life is changed now, and she considers her life pre-Lyle and post-Lyle. Yeah, she's like, oh, I can't even describe to you how different it was in Lil. Um, they have Fanta there, but it's different Fanta. It's called Lemon, which really made me laugh. <laughs> yeah, the whole thing is, the whole thing was just so goddamn funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, the whole thing was just so funny, the way she's just talking about her, her trip, like it was this magical experience that Andrew told her it would be, but really she just had fucked up travel arrangements and never got out of France. <laughs> Steven starts to kind of talk to Paul about being a pilot. And he asks, you know, were you civilian or military? And Paul just says hovercraft. And um, <laughs> they get into this kind of extended conversation about um, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, because Cass compares the hovercraft to Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, but Chitty Chitty Bang Bang could also fly. And then they keep kind of, going around in circles but i really enjoy how the conversation ends which is with steven saying and just like when i hear pilot i don't immediately think of hovercrafts which just really cracked me the fuck up yeah i um i don't even think that hovercraft pilots are called pilot like are they even it's, it's definitely not a pilot yeah that. i have no idea your guess is as good as mine um <laughs> But yes, now Stephen kind of tries to bring up the fact that the estate developer is wanting to buy up all the land at a really high value. Yeah, and somehow, even though Stephen's telling it like that, like trying to imply that this is Stephen's been see um, Andrew's plan all along, somehow 
the family turn on him again and it all becomes his fault. Yeah, this part was crazy because as soon as he brings it up, Andrew just says, you aren't, uh, you aren't going to take the, the deal, are you, Stephen? And this totally puts Stephen on the defensive. The family just kind of jumps on Stephen. Cass and, and Ellen quickly just kind of attack Stephen while he's like worthlessly trying to defend himself. And then, uh, but Ellen really confused me in this scene. I don't know if she confused you, but she seems like very torn between um, actually selling the John Barleycorn and actually keeping the John Barleycorn running. I think a bit of her wants to sell it. I agree with you because she sort of says, oh, you don't think we should sell it, do, we, do you, Stephen? Like as if she wants him to say yes. Yeah, and then uh, and then she has this part where she talks about, oh, who cares how many hundreds of thousands of pounds we'll miss out on in kind of this like robot voice. But then Andrew kind of turns it around and gives this slow hand clap speech that makes everyone love him where... <laughs> He's saying, like, we're going to make the, he calls it, like, the JB, the, the, the John Barleycorn, the best, yeah, J-Bar, the best pub in all of Stroud, or, like, and everyone's like, yeah, and there's this real <laughs> rallying, kind of, he rallies the troops. Yeah, except for Jeff, who is worried that if they don't sell the John Barleycorn, then the whole thing, the whole estate planning will go to shit, and then he'll die on his shitty fucking farm being eaten by the <laughs> emaciated fucking animals. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we get to the final scene, which I thought this scene was really, really goddamn funny. Um, Andrew and Stephen are at the Stroud District Coroner's Court. Andrew, they're both there in suits, and I'm not even really sure why they're there. Maybe to identify the body. I wasn't really. I get, yeah, I think if you are, if you found a body, you have to give evidence at the coroner's court. I only know this because my friend is a midwife and she was she wasn't the midwife who delivered a stillborn baby but she was on shift at the time and they all had to give shift because uh, all had to go and give evidence because they'd been present when the death occurred so i think it's basically anyone that comes into contact with the body uh, during a death oh, okay that makes sense yeah in this part steven is kind of trying to figure out what andrew's game is he asks Andrew if this is if the rebuilding of the John Barleycorn is some weird double bluff, some MC Escher bluff, or some kind of Rubik's Cube <laughs> bluff. Yeah, that really made me laugh. I really like the idea of a fucking Rubik's bluff. I was like, yeah, that's brilliant. That's so well put. Yeah, yeah I thought so too. Um, Andrew really kind of either seems to or pretends to not understand what Stephen is talking about. Um, Andrew tells Stephen to get away for the weekend. I'm sure finding Martin's body took a mental toll on him. Stephen, like, really goes on the defensive here, and he's like, I am not mad. You will not portray me as mad. I am the sanest man in the room. <laughs> yeah, which only serves to make him seem quite not sane, I have to oh, say. This, well, everything that happens in this scene, like, really, if Andrew is trying to manipulate Stephen into looking crazy he does a fucking amazing job mm. um they see they see joe who is martin the dead body's wife um and andrew is and andrew knows it, her he's like made contact hasn't he yeah well, she made yeah she made contact with him yeah and he gets up to go talk to her steven is kind of like no you are a body snatcher you're you stole my dead body and <laughs> Andrew's just like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? Like, calm yourself, Jesus. Yeah, um, and then Stephen's more upset, and Andrew's just like, look, 
is this because I know I'm more of the pub than you? Is this about dad? Is this because you think I'm taking your dad away from you? Like, and he's just like, don't analyze me. So don't analyze me, Sigmund. But <laughs> he's so angry at this point that, and I can see why because Andrew's just keeping really cool in this situation, and he's not kind of almost not giving it the reverence that Stephen's anger needs. Yeah, exactly. Um, he goes. Uh, Andrew then kind of just turns around and he goes to go talk to Joe. And I thought this scene was like really funny because Joe is apologizing to Andrew for finding the body. And yeah. once again, even though we have this really dire scenario going on, it's all about Andrew. Mm-hmm. And I th- As everything always yep. is. And I thought that was really funny. Um, Steven then just kind of, the girls give Andrew like a little, Joe and Martin have two like small girls probably about like your kid's age it looks like maybe a little older they're very little yeah they're little girls and one of them has drawn a picture for andrew um and then that he's just being like he's doing that kind of patronizing kind of counselor language that he does yeah um at this point steven kind of just like butts in and leads to a very awkward interaction with joe and just so that you guys can hear how awkward it is, here it is. Hi there. Hello. The girls are just off to their nans, but they've done your drawing to thank you for everything. You must have been very traumatized by the discovery that you've been a real rock for us. Um, actually, don't. I found him. Uh, Martin, your, your husband and, and your dad. Hi, I'm Stephen. Hello. Andrew actually arrived a bit later, but because of the mobile mast situation, which I've emailed Ofcom about twice, I had no signal. But but it, it was my dark privilege to, you know, be there at Martin's uh, daddy's departure. I hope I brought him comfort. He was already dead. I, I couldn't have saved him. But uh, maybe, I, I don't know, does consciousness remain at all after asphyxiation? Nice to meet you all. Finally. Thoughts are, are very much. Oof, that is just so hard oh, for me to it's even... It's so Mark. It, it's really Mark, that conversation. Yeah. He, um... It just is completely socially inept and doesn't know how to deal with anything. Yeah. This this episode was probably one of my favorites of the entire series. Uh, yeah, it was... What did I say about... I'm just looking in my notes as to what I didn't like was my least favorite. Um, uh, see, I said that it was probably my least favorite episode that I thought the... Um, dog was the plot driver a little bit which was a bit silly there were some very funny lines in it but i thought in terms of particular episode four was so funny i didn't laugh as much so i was a bit disappointed going into this one yeah um i thought it was really i thought it was funny i thought paul was great i thought Cass was very memorable jeff was great um almost to the point of stealing paul the episode great. um the interplay between steven and andrew is really really funny um and then uh I, I just felt like that this episode really clicked on all cylinders and it got me super pumped for episode six. 
I, by the end of it, I was very excited for the, the finale, which I think was actually better than this one. So um, I agree with you that Paul was very good, but he, and we'll talk about this more in a minute, but he then doesn't really get used. And I just thought, what was the point of him? Yeah. I don't know. I thought it was weird. Um, yeah, but speaking of episode six, we just kind of jump right into episode six and we're at the John Barley. Yeah, would you like me to, um, would you like me to read my synopsis? For oh, yeah, six? yeah. I'm sorry. Go yeah. right ahead. Um, so Andrew's made the pub a roaring success with a new French chef called Juliet. Jeff decides to get himself tested for bowel cancer because that's what Laurie died of. He and Cass come back negative for it. Other old foster kids return for a party on what would have been Laurie's 69th birthday. And we see Andrew's vulnerable side when confronted with Alfie Tate. But is Andrew really Andrew? It turns out that Andrew served a prison sentence, which we find out more about. Um, and Jeff reveals a family secret. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, we just kind of jump straight into the episode. And the John Barleycorn looks great. It's really yeah it's absolutely jumping it's full of people probably the busiest we've ever seen it i don't know about you but i thought that the architect that andrew hired like made it look really fantastic and exactly as yeah, andrew described it it looks like an authentic english pub yep um it's full of people eating and andrew walks over to a pretentious couple talking about the cherry clafoutine which he says with a little french accent which made me absolutely cringe um, and he says that Juliet trained in the Limousin region of France, which is where Clafoutine comes from. I don't know. Are you looking at my notes where I, I wrote out the phonetic pronunciation of these words? <laughs> no, I've heard of Clafoutine. I've eaten it, I think. It's like a French tart. Um, I didn't know it was, I didn't know it came from the Limousin region of France, but I believe it. Well, you, oh, yeah. You said it's true according to Wikipedia. So there you go. It is true. Yeah. I had no idea how to spell clafoutine. And so I just spelled it C-L-A-F-O-O-T-E-E-N. And thankfully, right, yeah, thankfully, yeah. Google knew exactly what I was looking for and took me to the correct spelling of clafoutine. <laughs> um, Clearly, you're not the first person to have spelled clafoutine. Like yeah. That. And uh, yeah, I thought the clafoutine looked really good. Andrew has a really funny converse. Andrew says the word clafoutine probably, what do you think, 10 times in like. Yeah, he says it seconds. a lot in this. Yeah, yeah. Um, it sounds, and you've written in your notes that it sounds like he just learned to say it, which he does. It's like, oh, stop being a pretentious little twat. Yeah, he sounds like, yeah, exactly. He sounds so pretentious in this scene. And, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, it's funny. We also find out, like you said about Juliet, she's a French chef. Um, Jeff walks into the bar and he just kind of saddles up to the bar to fill up his glass. And he starts talking to Mike and Jan about how his father died in 1982. And while rummaging through an old box of his father's belongings, he found his death certificate. And it turns out that he also died from bowel cancer. And Jan and Mike are like, didn't Lori die from bowel cancer too? And Jeff's like, yep, that's why I'm getting tested. Yeah. Um, he is talking about how he's worried about getting bowel cancer and they kind of talk a little bit about the signs for bowel cancer oh, and, <laughs> and how Lori started off with bowel cancer, but then he got cancer of his esophagus and it went up into his lungs, I think. And he ended up with the, so much that he was like a cancer pasty is how Jeff Yeah, it. which... That really that thought really fucking grossed me out. Yeah, great. Yeah, um, Mike asks Jeff if he has blood in his stool, and Jeff responds he doesn't, which is a giant blob of comfort. 
he then he then <laughs> yeah. he then asks if the bar still makes paninis because um Jan asks Jeff if he fancies a bit of lunch, which I thought was a really funny callback to the first episode where Jan and Mike yep. are talking about yep. the panini maker. Yeah. Jan hands Jan hands Jeff a new menu and he just kind of looks it over and he orders a warm beetroot and fennel salad with sheep's curd and a red onion marmalade. Did this sound at all appealing to you because it sure as fuck did not do anything for me? <laughs> yeah, I would eat that. That's very that's a very kind of average thing to have on like a slightly pretentious bar menu in this country. I would eat that. That sounds nice. Goat's cheese and beetroot salad. Yeah, that doesn't <sighs> Is that really pub food though? I mean, that does not sound like pub food to me. Yeah, like in a in a gastro pub, like not in a not in a pub because okay. that's where you get like chips and pies and stuff. But like gastro pubs, yeah, definitely. All right, if you say so, because I thought I thought that this sounded like very pretentious and like very gross. It is pretentious, but a lot of pubs have sprung up in the last kind of ten, fifteen years that have this kind of pretentious bar menu bullshit going on that would have cost about 14 quid as well that salad yeah no kidding uh i'm sure that <laughs> i'm sure jeff gets the family discount oh i'm sure he does um, and then jan asked if he wants a diet dr pepper to go with it which also really made me laugh for some reason and they flash these like goofy smiles at each other which <laughs> yeah he says that would be magic which i thought was lovely lovely touch. Yeah. um we then go to the caravan that Stephen has been living in for probably months now. Allison walks into the caravan and Stephen is just kind of laying there in the on the bed of hot doorknobs and he's just kind of staring at the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, he says he's depressed um, because uh, Andrew's stolen his life. He's won. He's now made the pub a success in a way that he never could have done. And he accepts that it's over. Like he's won the war. Yeah, now. he says that he that Andrews turned the pub into a perfectly awful, brilliant success. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Allison doesn't take this because she says that he's only won if you let him. Um, he's only stolen your life that if you let him steal your life. And we're gonna do something about this. So she says this is like the Rocky montage. She's gonna sort him out. Yeah. And uh, first thing she asks him is. Um, did he take a shower? And he's like, yes, I just showered this morning. And it kind of... <laughs> yeah, when did you last have a shower yeah. this morning? Yeah, that was pretty funny. Um, Andrew also mentions that he's going to be giving a speech because Lori's birthday is coming up and they're going to be doing a celebration of his life at the pub. And Ellen has asked um, Stephen to do a speech. And then he's like... She's also asked Andrew to make one Yeah, well. and he's all, she's, she's also asked Andrew. And he just is like, oh, who's... Which speech are people going to like more? Who's really going to think that they're Lori's heir? And yes, <laughs> Allison mentions that they can hire a speechwriter to write the speech. And um, kind of throughout this conversation, we see S Stephen fidgeting with a package of pills. And he says that he's on anxiety medication, medication to cure it, not to cause it. And um, Allison says, you know, should you really be drinking alcohol with that? And he's like, it's white wine. <laughs> Yeah, that's why I'm not drinking alcohol. That's why I'm only drinking yeah. white wine. Um, um, Alison then she gets up and she says that they're gonna gonna go and sort it out. So that's um how that scene yeah. ends. Um, back at the John Barleycorn, Ellen is carrying some dirty plates and she stops to compliment Andrew on bringing Juliet over. Um, 
Ellen walks away and Cass kind of slides into the seat where she was. This is where <laughs> I really enjoyed this little part too, where Andrew asks where Paul is and Cass is like, oh, he's dead. And Andrew's just like, Jesus Christ, what? <laughs> yeah, but she says she's only joking that they were acted out because he was really old. Yeah. It was an amicable split because they both realized that she had made a horrible, that Cass had made a horrible mistake. <laughs> yeah. Um, she doesn't actually seem that sad about it. So I guess that she realizes that it was stupid. Yeah. I made a note here that Cass just is so broken and I just feel so sad for her. Like, I know that she's in a sense like a very funny character because she's very naive and very like genuine, but in a show that is about broken people, I feel like Cass is the only one who does not have a good ending in her future. Yeah, I mean, I don't like her. And I've said this before. I think I said this in the first Batcast we did that. She is a bit of a trope and that irritates me. I can see why you'd feel sorry for her. I just think there wasn't quite enough about her to make me feel sorry for her because I just thought she was a fucking irritating annoyance. Yeah. Before the con... No, I mean, I... I... I can see how somebody could feel that way because it's not like her character is the most well defined. No, that's it exactly. If she'd been if she'd been better defined, maybe I'd feel sorry for yeah. her. Um, before the conversation can really continue, Jeff just sort of swings into the pub and he says, "The cancer results in, and it is zero. Clean as a lady's glove." <laughs> yeah, he says that you could ice a cake with his rectum and is just very happy and asks if he could have a scotch. Yep. Um, and as he as he goes over to the bar to make the scotch, him and Cass have a funny conversation about cancer. Jesus I, Christ, yeah, I never thought I would he... say those words. <laughs> he encourages her to get checked for cancer yep. and she then gets a bit sort of morose and generally over the top about how... Um, you know, she always thought she might not have long on earth, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, oh, shut up, Cass. Yeah, and I'm just going to go ahead and play the scene here so you can listen to it. Are you able to hear the cat, by the way? No. Jesus, I'm so paranoid about this shit. <laughs> okay, here we go. And then it's going to be the whole, like, Cass and Jeff talking about cancer and the Cass's whole scene. So, yeah, I really enjoy Cass in this scene. She's just... She's so genuine, and I really think that she thinks she's going to die. <laughs> yeah, she, in that moment, she definitely does think she's going to yeah. die. Um, next scene is kind of a short one, so we don't really need to go too in-depth into it. But um, Stephen is meeting with a speechwriter. The speechwriter's accent was so fucking thick that it was really hard for me to understand what he was saying. Was it? Did he have a thick What What's like a northern accent? Was, was it? Oh, I thought he was like Scottish or something. Oh, um, I don't, I don't know. It didn't register with me, so I, I don't know. I'm not sure what his oh. accent was. I, yeah. No, sorry. no, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> um, he's trying to like find jokes to write about, and he asks, "Was Laurie a fat guy?" And Stephen says, "No." And he goes, <laughs> "He goes, oh, because I had a good joke about pants on a clothesline causing a solar eclipse." Um, he asks, "Did he get along with Stephen's mom?" And Stephen says, "Yes." And he goes, "Oh, so I have a great joke." He didn't speak to mum for 18 months because he didn't want to interrupt her. And then he asks <laughs> Stephen if Lori ever took him fishing, and Stephen says no. And the joke writer guy asks, how is fishing different from sex? 
when you go fishing, you want to catch something, and he just laughs, and Steven is just like, oh, yeah, good good joke, good joke. Not <laughs> quite what I was going for. <laughs> yeah, he's he starts off by saying that he's he can write anything to any mood. He's like a bespoke speechwriter. But actually, it turns out he's got like five jokes, and he wants to put them all into the yeah. speech. Um, he, is Adam Cassidy an actual person? No, he's not. Um, and I checked, I googled just to check he wasn't. No, he's fictional. Um, he says that he um, used to write for Adam Cassidy and he's like, he could do anything. He was an all-round entertainer. <laughs> he could do like family stuff, like Pontins, End of the Pier stuff. But he could also do really dark shit about like bestiality and like child murder. And he's just like, uh, and Stephen's just like, could we keep it more on the family-friendly <laughs> Pontin side? Yeah. <laughs> um, we go back to the John Barleycorn um Stephen and Andrew are, are talking and, and Stephen asks Andrew if he's written anything down and Andrew of course being the renaissance man he is says he wants to read the room and then wing it depending on how things are going <laughs> well, break. Uh, Stephen says he has a speech with 20 prepared jokes some are about fishing Andrew asks or Andrew says dad took you fishing and Stephen says no but I'm going to pretend he did <laughs> <laughs> um Cass then comes in and announces that she's going to get checked for cancer and that she is uh, going for the tests later on that day. And she says to Stephen, are you going to go? And he's like, no, I'd rather not know, which I completely identify. Yeah, I, that's me 100%. <laughs> um, she also has prepared, prepared a memory box <laughs> for Andrew to remember her by if she dies, which is a bit weird. She says it's got a bit of her hair in it. What else was in uh, there? Photos, some drawings. Some drawings and a recording of her at age 14 singing Billie Holiday's Strange Fruit. <laughs> That's right. And Andrew looks horrified by this and says he hopes he won't ever have to listen to that. But he says it in a very <laughs> genuine way where it sounds like he's complimenting her, but it's a very backhanded compliment, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she also says that she's been thinking about the baby <laughs> she never had. And how, uh, like, the mem- like she's going to be thinking about the baby she never had, crying out for the mother it never had. And I thought uh, this was a bit over the top as well, because isn't she only meant to be about 35? Like, she could definitely still have a baby. Oh, yeah, but having a baby would require her to meet somebody, and I just don't see That's Cass true. being with it enough to actually meet somebody. No, and she has just sacked off Paul, her husband of four days, so... But to be fair... I'm not even sure if Paul is capable of providing her with a child. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> um, Cass, uh, oh, sorry, then Ellen then greets someone coming into the pub and Andrew asks who it is and Stephen says that they've invited some of the other foster kids that they kept in contact with. Um, and then they we hear a name that, we, that gets repeated because Alfie Tate comes in. And Alfie Tate is this kind of like cheeky chappy who it turns out was fostered uh, before Andrew came to stay with them. Yeah. And uh, and uh, we see a quick flash of, um, of young Andrew, which would lead me to believe that he feels um, like vulnerable in this situation. Because whenever we see the characters flashing back to their young selves, it's because they're facing some sort of like vulnerability. So we see that Andrew is not completely um invulnerable in this scene yeah he looks sad and ellen refers to him as lovely alfie tate and just says that laurie doted on him yeah steven says women want to fuck him men want to buy him a drink and then (laughs) fuck him (laughs) (laughs) um then later on ellen's a bit pissed up 
and she introduces Stephen, and she's actually been nice to him for once in yeah. her life. And he make and he makes this really heartfelt speech. He decides to not go with the one he's paid 170 quid for, and instead to give a heartfelt speech off the cuff where he talks about how his dad was all these different things. He was a dad and a foster dad and a husband and a friend and a publican and that he should still be there to be all those things because he was only young. Yeah. It was really it was a really good speech and um mm. I felt I was glad that Steven got to make this speech because way back in episode one when he was at the gravesite and he was gonna make the speech when Andrew interrupted him. I, yeah. I felt like this was probably really good closure for Steven regarding his dad. Yeah, and he says as well that he's um he going back to the idea that he wanted a bespoke speech. He says he was a bespoke dad. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was very good scene. Um, as uh, Andrew starts to stand up to make his speech, Ellen says, uh, "You know, where's Alfie Tate? Where's Alfie Tate?" Uh, at this point, you know, Laurie would sing Rocket Man, and Alfie Tate, come on up here. And before Andrew can make his speech, Alfie Tate gets on the piano. Um, whole pub starts to sing Rocket Man. Really, really fucking love this scene. Yeah, the first thing I did when this episode ended was go and play Rocket Man loudly because I'm a big Elton John fan, and this was this reminded me of what a great song this is. And it's already it's really well done. The whole pub is singing it, and everyone's really getting into it, and it's a great sing along song. Yeah. Um, there's uh, Stephen goes and talks to a guy named Chris, and Chris asks who the guy with the murder face at the bar is. Someone told me that was Andrew Donnelly, and Stephen says, why? Chris continues, well, I was in a halfway house, probably 14 or 15, and that man is not Andrew Donnelly. Uh, and Stephen gets really excited and says, that man is not Andrew Donnelly, and I was also really excited on the Twitter being like, yes, my theory has come true. This is this is exactly what I said was going to happen. He was not Andrew Donnelly, um, but it turns out to be a double bluff. Uh, well, I mean, we're not 100% sure, because Chris then just says... Well, I didn't think it was, but from this angle, I guess it could be. So, yeah, the tease um, is out there. The tease is out there. Yeah, the tease is out there. Um, but Steve is really excited and realizes that he, this gives him something to work on. And he realizes that the appearance of Alfie Tate has, has meant that he is vulnerable and that he might be able to find out some more information. Yeah. Um, back at the caravan, we see that Stephen has put that Alfie Tate is Andrew's kryptonite. And then he's... He tells Allison that the game is afoot and that he, he's going to investigate Andrew with some renewed vigor. Um, back at the caravan, we see this renewed vigor by Stephen has put pins in a map of all the places that Google has told him that Andrew Donnelly has been. Um, were you as curious as I was? Like, how did they, how does Google tell them anything? I guess it's just like information they've managed to get, so... TripAdvisor reviews and maybe information about places he's worked where he's been mentioned on their websites. I guess that's how they've done it. Yeah. Um, Stephen wonders if the locations all spell out a word. He asks if they spell out the word kiln. I think this spells out the word kiln. <laughs> Allison is just looking at him like he's fucking nuts. Um, yeah, because it very clearly doesn't spell out the word kiln. <laughs> if you kind of squint and turn your head, it, it could... It could, so... <laughs> yeah, she's like, where's the K? And he's like, that is clearly a K. Allison says they need to focus on the missing 18 months. He was in the Limousin region. 
He goes dark for 16 months, and then he reappears running an ethical casino. Uh, or, uh, excuse me, Andrew says that, sorry. Um, no, I guess that was Allison. Because the entire time she's yeah, saying that, yeah. he's pouring himself a scotch. And then we find out that he has stopped taking his anti-anxiety medication because it makes his head fuzzy and he needs to be sharp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he says that she's like, should you be drinking? And he's like, it's not really drinking. This is scotch. It's more of a, like appreciation. <laughs> yeah. um, it's quite clear he's got a massive drinking problem at this yeah. point. And, um, and yeah, that's how, how we in this scene but then the next thing we see is him in a library yep and uh he's talking about he's sitting at the microfiche machine with allison and this just brought back so many memories i i'm sure you you since you and i are in this close to the same age do you remember doing your like reports and stuff like that with microfiche yeah microfiche is uh, was a big thing here and a lot of our libraries still have a lot of stuff on microfiche obviously that's why steven's using it um but yeah before before the internet, when you were trying to do a project, microfiche was invaluable. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that there's probably people that are have watched the show that have no idea, or, well, I mean, probably know what it is, but have never used a microfiche machine before. My husband's only two years younger than me, and he was he'd not used microfiche, so I think we were in the last generation of microfiche users. Yeah, it wouldn't, it really wouldn't surprise me. Um, um, he is looking at some newspapers, and I thought this was a bit odd, because he appears to be looking at a French newspaper, and this comes up later. I can't imagine why a rural library in the West Country of England would have French newspapers on microfiche, but okay, I'm willing to suspend my, my you know, disbelief for this. Um, I like how you find out that he brought the electric uh, kettle so that he can make noodles, <laughs> and then... Uh... Yeah, he's got an electric kettle, and he's like, I keep making... I'm making... Illegal noodles. Um, <laughs> illegal pot noodles but i have to drink them i have to eat them quite quickly because of the the smell and then he he mentions casually that he's burned his throat a couple times (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then he's drinking the scotch and he's like this is medicinal for my burnt throat um so at this point steven is really kind of in his own world and allison just starts kind of casually mentioning that her and tom broke up and that um you know she'd really like to have a long boozy dinner with steven and all of a sudden steven is like yes that's a great idea go have a boozy dinner with andrew um yeah just go for a pizza yeah or and allison actually looks like really upset here and i don't blame her because you know this entire show we have seen steven pining over her and now that she's kind of ready to return the feelings he's just you know completely ignoring her yeah it's is totally out of it and doesn't realise what she's insinuating, which I thought was sad because they are obviously meant to be yeah, together. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, So we head back to the John Barleycorn and Andrew is kind of cleaning up around the pub after the birthday celebration and Ellen just mentions <clears throat> excuse me Ellen just mentions that they have a card from Alfie Tate and she asks Andrew if he's ever met Alfie Tate Um. Andrew says that he didn't, but then he has a flashback to the day he left the Nichols house, and I thought this was actually kind of sad. Yeah, I was going to say, this actually broke my heart a little bit, um, particularly as my dad spent a lot of his childhood in a children's home and quite a bit of time in care, so this sort of thing always like cuts me real deep, and it was just really sad to see how much um, the family meant to Andrew, and not how much he didn't mean to them, because he obviously did, but how he was just one in a long line of foster children. Yeah. 
Um, in the flashback, we see obviously it starts with young Andrew and then it switches to modern day Andrew. Um, but he says, you know, my mom, tell Cass and Steven, I'll miss them. And then he looks at Lori and he says, you know, dad, these five months have been the best of my life. Lori kind of just puts his hand lovingly on Andrew's shoulder. And then he starts to walk away. Andrew turns around and says, bye bye dad. And then out and then, uh, Lori without even turning around just says, ta-ta Alfie Tate. And Andrew yeah. looks just and completely like, oh. gut punched. Horrible, so sad. Yeah. Um, Ellen then says that Laurie loved and doted on Alfie Tate, and, and Andrew's like, no, and then walked away upset. Yeah. Now, I want to ask you a question here. So this is the first flashback that we've seen that where Andrew is by himself. Does that make sense? Mm. Yes, yeah, yeah. So since he's having this flashback, we, the audience, see this flashback. Are are you prepared to admit that Andrew is actually Andrew and actually had stayed with them prior to episode one? Yes, I I, I completely thought that that was going to be what came out. But once we had the double bluff of Chris saying it wasn't him and then, oh, it might be. And now I completely accept that he's the real Andrew Donnelly. Yeah. Uh, Took a lot for me to admit that because I was really wedded to that theory. But that theory does not hold water now. No, it doesn't, um, especially since, like I said, this is the first kind of flashback we've seen where um, he's not, you know, directly talking to Steven. All the other flashbacks have involved him. Oh, do you remember the Toblerone Zone? Do you remember going to the park? Do you remember Smelly Ellis? Um, but this one is just Andrew just remembering shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I accept my theory as well. Um, Cass walks in, she finds out that she's cancer-free. Yay. Yay! Um, <laughs> um, go ahead. Mike then mentions that she doesn't have to check her stool anymore, but we all should, because it's a healthy habit to get yeah, into. Yeah, that's one habit I'll never get into. <laughs> no, thanks, Mike, but no thanks. The speed at which Jeff and Cass are able to get colonoscopies to get cancer checks, and the speed at which they're getting the results back are, like, mind-blowing to me. Because yeah, particularly as I've had one too, and especially on the NHS, that's a slow process, my friends. I know, and then you have to do the fucking stupid prep the day before. Yeah, yeah. We don't yep. need to discuss because it's fucking horrible. <laughs> um, and also, I don't know about you, but I had a twilight anaesthetic, which you have to prepare that you have to prepare for by like not eating and stuff, and and I was admitted into hospital as a day case, so. You're right. It's not like you can't just pop up to the hospital and get it done. Yeah, that uh, that just really cracked me up both times because I'm just like, Jesus, I wish my fucking cancer screen had come back as fast as Jeff and Cass's. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I think that was a bit of poetic license yeah. there. Uh, we go back to the library and Stephen has finally discovered the missing 18 months. Yes, he is. It's the, about to close the library. The librarian has said that they, there's five minutes or ten minutes they close the library and so bring your books to the counter. And just as the lights are going off, he finds a piece of information in French that proves that Andrew has spent 18 months in prison. Yep. And we find out that Andrew Donnelly drunk drove and then maimed a child. <laughs> yeah, and he does a very funny celebration where he sort of leaps up and he's saying, he maimed a child, he maimed a child. Old Black Betty maimed a child, which made me laugh out loud. That was very yeah. funny. Um, it's a it's a short scene, but it's important because 
um, we find out that Steven finally has the missing piece of information that he's been looking for. Yeah. Oh, and then he shouts out to everyone in the library, I had a kettle the whole time, you fucking bunch of bookworms. Yeah. Fuck off, you bunch of bookworms. <laughs> um, the next scene, we see Stephen come back to the pub, and he's quite clearly drunk, and immediately goes for a bottle yep, of wine. And he starts, he starts saying, like, Andrew, oh, Andrew, and then Andrew comes down, and, um, you know, Stephen's just like, I found your secret. I'm going to run you out of town like a cowboy. And Andrew's just like, like a cowboy. And Stephen's like, Sheriff, whatever. Um, <laughs> Stephen points out that the Licensing Act of 2003 looks down on drink-driving child maimers. Andrew looks really, really hurt here. And he asks if Stephen is going to weaponize this information. Yeah. Um, and Stephen says, look, this is what we're going to do. You're going to sell me back your bit of the John Bonacorn for mates rates and you're going to disappear. And, and Andrew's just like, is this all about dad? And he's like, no, this is about the game you've been taking over my life. And I'm not going to play this or I'm going to play hardball with you now. Like you've had, he says, you've had your triple cook chips, mate. Um, and it says that you're going to go and we're not going to say any more about this. Yeah. And uh, Andrew's just like, okay. And he goes to pack up and leave. Yeah, he says that he he says he'll go on the proviso that you don't tell anyone else what happened. Yeah. And that's the end of the episode, and I don't know how you felt, but I thought the series was really good. <laughs> imagine, imagine if it had been. Oh my god, it would have I would have been like, Oh well. Okay. okay. Interesting. <laughs> Instead, yeah. we get a lot more batshit insane stuff about to happen. So Yeah. In like the last five minutes as well, it's like pow pow oh, pow. Yeah, yeah, that is good. That is good to point out that in the actual real time of this episode, there was literally about five minutes left, and I was very like confused as to what the fuck was going to happen. Yeah, me too. I was too. like, they've got a lot of questions to answer in five minutes. Um, yeah. So yeah. Um, the next evening at the John Barleycorn, Stephen actually looks really happy for the first time since the series started. I don't know. Did you feel that same way? Yep. He's wearing a nice little suit. He's got his hair all slicked back in a little parting. And his hair is brilliant. I, I think I tweeted at the time that Stephen's hair is now my favorite thing about this, this series. It's just he looked great with the little form. Yeah. Hairdo. And then the hair designer or the hairdresser on the set actually tweeted back to you. Yeah. <laughs> Great yeah, hair. I thought that was fun. Um, yeah, Ellen yeah. is super confused about why Andrew is left, and Stephen says his voicemail was vague, but it just said he had to deal with ghosts from the past. And there's kind of a funny little continue running joke where Cass, Jeff, Jan, Ellen, and Mike all talk about andrew's energy but they all refer to it in a different way like one says he buzzed he hummed he crackled and um and then as this conversation is kind of going on juliet interrupts and she says oh i know what his secret is and steven just kind of goes oh i wonder if it's something like tax evasion or something like that <laughs> yeah um and she says no or we've it flicks a little bit later, doesn't it? So they're all sitting down now. And she sort of tells the story of how when Andrew was out living in France in the village where she's from, 
and everyone liked him he was running a restaurant and he had charm and everyone's like yeah yeah he did and um she says that they were good friends and jeff says i imagine you were sexually involved and she's like no we're just friends and jeff's like i'll keep imagining that <laughs> that's okay classic jeff classic jeff classic jeff um, but then we find out that actually it was Juliet's mum who was drunk driving and Andrew was in the car. Yeah, the road was misty and she had been drinking heavily. They heard a thump. Jeff asks, was it a goat? Juliet says no. And he goes, <laughs> well, I'm just going to keep pretending it was a goat. <laughs> yeah, I saw a goat in my mind's yeah. eye. Um, we find out that it was actually Juliet's mom that maimed the child, not Andrew. But there was half a yeah. bottle of vodka still in the car and Andrew chugged the bottle of vodka and then got behind the wheel, and then he kind of took the bullet for Juliet's mom so that she didn't go to jail. Yeah. Um, oh, we didn't say that Juliet's mom had just lost her husband, so she was, like, grief Oh, yeah, um, that's probably so, important. Yeah, so Andrew's, Andrew's done a good thing for her because she was upset and he didn't want her to go down for that on top of her grief, which... Um, the family looks shocked. Stephen just shouts out, "Bollocks!" Yeah. And I t- and I and I tweeted at that point. Oh, so he was good after yep. all. Yep. And it continues the force of good uh, theory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were right. I hate it when uh, you're right. I hate it when I'm right too because I really <laughs> wanted you to be right, and we had serial killer Andrew. <laughs> um, and then the next day in the pub, um. They're all talking about it, and Andrew's back, and everyone's falling over him, and Ellen's got her arm around him, and she's like, "Well, oh, you silly sausage, why, why did you, why didn't you just tell us?" He's like, "I didn't want to get the pub in trouble." With the licensing act of two thousand three. Yeah, they mentioned that licensing act a few times, didn't they? It was very pointed that that we know all about the licensing act of two thousand three. I, I assume that that was some. I, I assume that that was just some sort of like big deal there, so. <laughs> A lot of our laws changed in 2003, so it was the first wave of, um, so under Tony Blair, even though he'd been in office by that point for like six years, it was the first, or by about five years, it was early 2003, it was the first wave of like the big changes that he pushed through. So it was like the things that, um, so it meant like child sex crimes became easier to prosecute people over and harsher sentencing, things like drink driving, um, and drink-related crimes became a bigger deal. But it does get mentioned a few times yeah. here. Now, here's where things get really, really fucking batshit crazy. And so yeah. you'll just kind of have to bear with us for this next, I don't know, like five, ten minutes, however long it takes us. Um, Steven stands up and announces that he is going to get his cancer screening. Jeff just goes, why? Oh, right, because you were Lori's son. That's right. Yeah, and Ellen's giving him absolute evil. Yeah, and uh, Stephen just looks at Jeff and he goes, are you saying I'm not Laurie's son? And Jeff is like, no, that's the exact opposite of what I'm saying. Goodbye, see you later. And (laughs) at this point, Ellen reveals that Stephen is not Laurie's son and that she had some flings and some of the flings flung back and Stephen just looks like completely gutted here as you would if you found out your dad wasn't really your dad. oh my god it is so oh it's so sad yeah and he's like oh so there's no blood link for me like i'm no more his son than 
and your Alfie were. Like, I'm just like one of them. Yeah. Uh, Cass, she just says, oh, well, maybe that's why we've never been able to get along together. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's why we never gelled. Yeah, maybe that's why we never gelled. It's very funny. Uh, I like that Cass is just a glass half full person. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She's uh, she doesn't seem to be able to connect on like any emotional level with anyone really. Yeah, um, and then you can just tell that Stephen just looks—he just looks so fucking gutted here. I feel so bad for him, but I just want to say that I think it's weird how casual this reveal is. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I have known a few people with interest in. Um, backstories when it came to who their parents actually were and like things like this and actually my own dad's family um, there was a bit of like pretend pretending who different people's dads were and I think maybe it's just that if you're in that situation and in that family and if like the older generation have always known I guess it's just like well it's something they always knew and the fact that Stephen didn't know it's all irrelevant because it's not a shock to them, is it? No, it's not a shock to them, but it also just seems to be so, you know, like I said, he just mentions it so fucking casually that I'd have to feel like if he's been sitting on this information for this long, that it's not something he would just let inadvertently slip. Yeah, that's true. And Ellen, you would have thought Ellen would have tried to cover it up a bit better than she does because she just sort of capitulates and lets the information come out. Yeah. Um. So Stephen just kind of looks like a total zombie here, and he just kind of putters out of the John Barleycorn. Um, next scene, we're back at Ellen's house, and Stephen is sitting in a chair. Um, I Is he watching uh, Escape to the Country? He is, yeah. He's watching Escape to the Country while she's zonked out on Yeah, tablet. I thought so, because I was like, oh yeah, yeah, my wife loves that show. <laughs> he even says, I think, um, so... Uh, Alison comes to visit him and she's like, are you all right? And he's like, these people want to escape to the country and this nice man is helping them to escape to the country. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, he asks he asks Alison if Alison went to dinner with Andrew and she says she didn't. Um, Stephen says he has no clue who he is or what's going on with his life. He wonders if his life is all a bluff and switcheroos or maybe everything he knows is true and he just thinks it's a lie. And I just feel really bad for him here because I can't imagine what he yeah. must be going through. Yeah. yeah, and Alison's like, I'm so sorry but for everything that's happening. And he says, it's okay, I've stopped drinking and mum's got me an exercise bike, so it's all Yeah, good. and I really hope he does stop drinking because, yeah, it's not very good for he him. He needs to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Andrew and Juliet then pop in and they say they're just saying hi because Juliet's going back to France. Yep, Allison, Allison at this point, and, uh, or excuse me, Ellen just sort of appears out of nowhere at this point, and she tells Stephen to just get better, and while he's getting better, Andrew can run the business in the meantime. Probably not the kind yeah. of thing to say to Stephen to help get him better. No, definitely not. Um, Allison and Ellen then leave the room, and Stephen says to Juliet he starts getting caught up in a point of criminal law in France and asking that but wouldn't your mum have been prosecuted because it was her car and she let a drunk person drive it and you can see his point here and I thought maybe he was on to something but Juliet says that that's not a law in France. I didn't check to see if that was a law in France or not I'd be interested to look at that but um, it makes sense 
I just disbelieved it on principle, but Stephen sounded like he was making sense. But if Juliet is saying that it's not, then okay. I mean, Stephen is an attorney, so maybe you know, whatever. Yeah, I guess I guess the French are different from us. They have different laws. But yeah, I would be interested to yeah, know as well. I'll do some uh, I'll do some research into this <laughs> and in the next episode of the podcast I will let you know what I found. Please okay. Do. Um as Andrew is leaving with Juliet, he kind of leaves the room but then he kind of dips back in and he tells Stephen, you know, when you're feeling like a human, um you and I should go out for dinner i had the best pizza at at sergio's and he wants to take steven there um sergio's is the pizza place that steven had told allison to take andrew to andrew doesn't explicitly state here that he went there with allison but he definitely insinuates it yeah the implication is clear that he went there with allison and that allison has lied to him which is another now in the coffin for steven's sanity yep and that's the end of back series one. Yeah. I'll be honest. I was a little, I, I thought that the finale was good. I just felt like it wasn't that good. Like it, it left too much hanging. That's. It was all over, all over the place, which I think you've written in your notes as well. Like, so I thought the first, like the last 10 minutes were really good. Cause it was like bang, bang, bang. All this stuff was happening. But I thought, Oh, Maybe we could have spread that out a little bit across the episode because by by the time it got to the point of the last ten minutes, I hadn't lost interest. But I was like, okay, I can see where this is yeah. going, and like, and it didn't. Yeah, you know what I mean. It was like, oh, okay, yeah, right, and yeah. So it was it wasn't very tight, and I've written that in my notes for the whole thing in general. Really, was that it was it was good. It had some great bits. It had some really funny bits, but there was a lot of flab in it. Yeah. Uh... And yeah, and I just said, you know, it there's a hell of a cliffhanger, and I enjoyed that. Especially, it's good. There's some good hooks for series two. Um, I felt like the plot was a little disjointed, and then you know, like I said, I wasn't really happy with the the reveal that Stephen isn't Laurie's son. Um, and I feel like I thought it was a good twist. I did like no, the twist. I just I liked the twist. I, won- I just hated how it was presented. I wonder if. Yeah, and I wonder as well if it was the sort of thing that was done to shock the audience and where they'll actually take that. It is possible, probably not likely, like gaslighting him. Yeah, I thought that. I thought when he said at the end about it's all switcheroos and is my whole life like a lie, and it was like, oh, okay, is this what it's going to turn out to be if they go in for a series two? Is it going to be that actually they were all trying to fuck him up, but I can't imagine why his whole family would be trying to fuck him up. Yeah, that's the only thing that I can't figure out either, is what what do they have to gain from doing all of this? Yeah. But, I mean, I mean, we asked for people's opinions, didn't we? And we were t- I was looking at them, and the people gave us their opinions on the series on Facebook and on Twitter, and a lot of, pe- a lot of the same opinion was coming up over and over again, which was really that the ending was quite unclear, like, was Andrew good then, or was he not good? Because that final bit where he's trying to mess with him about his wife and going to dinner with his or his ex-wife, going to dinner with his ex-wife, that didn't show him off in the best light. But then, are we meant to think that he's this like damaged person who's been going around doing good? Like, I'm not sure how I feel about Andrew at the end of that. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about Andrew either. Um, have they announced if there's going to be a series two yet? 
So um, David Mitchell on Twitter said that they were very much hoping to make a series two. So that would I would read into that that they had um, there were ideas in place for season two, but maybe Channel Four haven't announced if they're going to recommission it yet. And I did, looked into it this morning, and there was no information saying that it had definitely been recommissioned. I mean, it seems like that the ratings stayed pretty consistent, which I imagine, you know, and I plus I imagine, and this may make me sound stupid if it does just let me know i imagine that ratings for a british show starring british actors especially mitchell and webb i would imagine that the ratings would have to be pretty goddamn low for um a show to get canceled with them yeah that's what i would think i agree with you i think if this was a a show that was made with people that weren't known and a writer that wasn't known then perhaps it would not be recommissioned. But as it's got such a high calibre people involved in it, I'd be very surprised if this didn't get recommissioned. Far worse things have been recommissioned um, over here in the last few years than this. Yeah, when Series 2 does air, I imagine that we'll be done by Peep Show, or with Peep Show by that time, so we'll have to bring the band back together for Series 2 of Back. <laughs> yeah, um... I wonder where it will go if there is a season two and what they will. I don't know. I, I, it'd be interesting to yeah, see. I agree. So what was your favorite episode overall? Uh, episode four. So I really enjoyed episode four because of all the pub stuff with Jeff. And I also enjoyed the um, Andrew and Stephen going on their little tour of the country with the um, all of the stockists of the stuff in the pub. Um, but mainly it was for how brilliant Jeff was as a public. And what about um, you? You and I spot on episode four. Um, I really enjoyed that one as well. Mostly just because of the... Yeah, I think it was the strongest yeah. one. And I think I said last episode that I have decided that my enjoyment of the episodes is directly proportional to the amount of Jeff that is in each episode. Mm, definitely. He is my super hands in this, I think. He just adds a little bit of magic that there's not in it when he's not in the yeah. scene so i guess that kind of brings me to my next question who was your favorite character yeah obviously it was jeff jeff absolutely wins hands down but i also really enjoyed what web brought to andrew um i i said that i'm not sure it was a good thing that i still don't know if he was evil or not but i think that was a fault of how the ending was written rather than how he played him i really enjoyed the kind of battle between good and evil that was in andrew's character and I really enjoyed seeing Robert Webb bring something to that that I hadn't previously seen in him. Because while Stephen is very funny, I think even David Mitchell would accept that he is just a kind of more embittered Mark. Whereas Andrew was quite different to Jeremy. What about yeah, you? I wrote, I I was kind of torn between Jeff and Cass. Um, Jeff, for all the reasons that you pretty much said. Cass, because I really just liked that she was a different character from the the rest. I mean, granted... She was not a very deep character, but I felt like almost in a way, I felt that she was the most tragic character because she was a person who had these grandiose visions, but then really when push came to shove, she couldn't go through with it. Yeah. And uh, I get that. I can see, despite the fact that I hated Cass so much, I can see that there were things to love in her. Yeah. Um, and then... My favorite line of the entire series, it, I was torn between vinyls coming back, yeah, for cunts, and then don't analyze <laughs> me, Sigmund, fuck. Very, that was a very funny line. Um, 
I chose Jeff's line in the pub in episode four, where they are debating whether or not to serve some underage boys. And he says, lads need to learn how to drink in pubs. Not doing so can often lead to jihad, <laughs> which was a f- very funny line in itself. But the fact that the boys were all very white and very clearly not Muslim in any way made it all the funnier. Yeah. Um, and then I noticed that you said worst episode. You thought it was number five. I'll say the premiere. Yeah, I didn't enjoy episode five. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I didn't. I, my favorite episode. So I love. I loved four, but I also liked two quite a lot. I was. I was debating between one and five, but I just thought that five was, there were some really funny bits in it, but it was just a little bit slow. And a lot of it was like the dead guy stuff, which again, I didn't really care yeah. about. Uh, like I said, yeah. Series premiere for me, I felt like was the weakest episode. And who was your least favorite character? Oh, Ellen, without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was a toss up between Cass and Ellen. I think that part of my objection to them was I'm going to get on my feminist high horse again. But part of my objection to them both was that they're poorly, writ- like, underwritten female characters who, even if you don't, even if, I'm not saying that you have to like all female characters, I just would like all female characters to be as three-dimensional as their male counterparts. And for Cass, that certainly wasn't the case. And Ellen was just a bit of a bitch. And she was so horrible to Stephen that I didn't really see anything to like yeah. in her. That's what I really liked about Allison was that I felt like Allison was very full, fully developed and she had... Yeah. I agree with you. She had a personality outside of the men that were in the scenes mm-hmm. with her. Um, I also thought it was a bit of a shame that we never got to see more in flashback of Laurie because um, Matthew Holness, who plays him, is so funny and has been in so much stuff where he's been hilarious that I would have liked to have seen uh, some flashback stuff that fleshed Laurie out a bit more. I disagree because everybody talks about Laurie like he's a god. And so the fact that we don't really know much about Laurie, we just kind of hear these things second and third hand about him. So I enjoyed that aspect of it that we. I guess that's true. Yeah, I guess you're right that if we saw more of Laurie, we might have to take on more of Laurie's personality, which would be a problem in some ways. But I think it's just maybe it's just because it is Matthew Holness who I've enjoyed so much in some other stuff that I thought that he, I don't know, maybe he could have brought something to it that was lacking but i could see your point about the actual character yeah it was funny because when i was taking the notes for episode six um for the andrew flashback i was like wow this is really the most we ever have seen consecutively of laurie and it really i felt kind of the same way as you where i was like jesus you know i love matthew wholeness everything i've seen him in he's been amazing like why don't we see more of him and i was like Oh, right, because then we would know more about Laurie and we would realize that, you know, Laurie was a human with faults and not this, like, deity of perfection that Stephen and Andrew hold him up to be. You're right, and for, especially for Andrew's characters to have to work, we have to accept that Laurie was, like, Superman, basically. Um, Have you been watching or reading anything else? Yeah, so um, I've just started watching it, just started on E4 this week. Um, it's available on all four. A great show called Game Face, which is written by and stars uh, Rosin Connerty, who you probably don't know, but she is a well-known face over here. She's on a lot of panel shows and stuff. Um, and she also plays Joe in Man Down. Um, this is a show that had a pilot about two years ago, and they've just made a full series of it. It's very funny. The first two episodes premiered on Thursday and really made me laugh. Um, it's about Marcella, who's an actress who is uh, not who's not acted for a while. 
she's taking jobs as a kid's entertainer um and she seems to have to go to a lot of parties and dress up as elsa from frozen and um her longtime partner just married someone who split up with her and then immediately married someone who was very like her and her life's falling apart um it was really funny it's really worth watching um Roseanne, like I say, Rose Roseanne Connerty is really funny in Man Down, which is the Greg Davis written Channel Four show, and that's just going into its fourth season. Uh starts next week on Channel Four in the back slot. So well worth your time, both of those. What about you? Have you been watching or reading or anything funny? Um mostly I've just been excited because there's a there's a show on over here and I I haven't really heard if it's crossed over the ocean, but it's called Mr. Robot. Oh, um, it's on Amazon Prime. I haven't seen it, but I've seen it. Oh, okay. Yeah, series season three of Mr. Robot just started, and I'm really excited because it's, it is a fucking phenomenal show. Although, series three, episode one kind of has a weird turn to it, and I'm kind of scared that it's going to start to go in one direction. <laughs> but we'll we'll see what happens but it's a phenomenal show the main actor Rami Malek is just unbelievably good i really can't imagine anybody else ever cast in the role of Elliot um it also co-stars Christian Slater Christian Slater plays a character named Mr. Robot who uh, both the main characters are computer hackers um and it just has a very complex plot has a very intricate plot it's very realistic in the terms of computer hacking because in a lot of shows computer hacking is this very fanciful thing you know like the movie hackers where they're like we're gonna hack the gibson bro but um uh mr robot treats hacking as like very very genuine they worked with actual computer hackers to make sure that all the science and technology is accurate it's just it's a really 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 phenomenal show um Season two, the first roughly seven episodes of season two are a little slow. Uh, the back half of season two is really, really good, though. Mm, well, it's worth knowing. We actually are. We were debating last night whether we should start a series or watch a film, and we decided to um, watch a film. And we watched uh, a ghost story with Casey Affleck. Are you familiar? Have you heard of it? It wow! It sounds. It got like insane reviews but yeah it's, everyone loved it and we were just like are we too stupid to get this but it was yeah it really wasn't it was very slow and really not good so don't watch that is <laughs> my advice to you about yeah, I'll story. have to uh, I'll have to mention that because that sounds like the kind of movie that my wife would be like oh my gosh a ghost story this sounds awesome and then she would watch it and then she would text me later and go god I wish I could get those three hours of my life back yeah, we got in, we were a little bit drunk, we got in from a night out, and we're like, oh, it's still time to watch something, and we're really like, we wish we hadn't bothered with that, like, and the extra two hours sleep could have been had, but instead we watched that piece <laughs> of shit. Well, cool. um, I mean, that's it for, this is the final back cast, at least until next year. I'm kind of sad, I've really enjoyed talking about back. Um, can't wait to watch episodes seven and eight, and see where everything goes from there in like three years or whenever it's going to come back <laughs> yeah whenever it comes out i reckon we've probably got at least 18 months but yeah i do think there'll be a second series yep. so i look forward to watching all right it. well we will be back next week with 
our continued coverage of Peep Show coverage, like sounds like it's an ongoing show. Um, with our continued <laughs> deep dive into Peep Show, we have Series 4, Episode 3, Jim. Uh, episode I really enjoy. Has one of my favorite one-episode characters and also features the return of a fan-favorite character. It does. Um, yeah, I look forward to talking to you about yeah. that next week. Uh, for the... L Dude Brothers podcast. This is Sean and Laura signing off. And eh, eh. goodbye. Bye. I don't know why I said Sean and Laura. Like you're fucking perfectly capable <laughs> of saying your own goddamn name. And I think it's gonna be a long, long time till touchdown brings me back again to find. I'm not the man I think I am at home Oh no, no, no Cause I'm a rocket man Rocket man Burning up his new heart here alone And I think it's gonna be a long, long time Go there with a murder face Someone said it's Andrew Donnelly? It is Andrew Donnelly Really? Yeah, why? I was in a halfway house with Andrew. We were 14, 15, shithole. We both had great memories of being fostered here. That's not him. Not him? You're saying that man there is not Andrew Donnelly? Well, I didn't think so, but looking at him now from the side, maybe he is. I mean, it was a long time. I'm going back to the caravan. The game's afoot. I'm going to finally find out the truth about Andrew. Or Andrew. That inflection was implying inverted commas. Do you think he's losing his powers? Yeah, Alfie takes his kryptonite. The ladder's wobbling and I'm going to smash into it in my vengeance bus. Good luck. Don't go too mad. Don't worry. I won't go too mad. I'm a rocket man.